Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stancil. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of the FarmBits podcast. We are continuing on in our quantifying soil spatial variability series in this episode. The focus of this episode is management zones, but unlike in our previous episode talking about soil, water, and topography maps produced by Croptimistic Technologies, this episode features an academic perspective. Dr. Newell Kitchen, a soil scientist with the USDA ARS in Columbia, Missouri, is our guest for this episode. Newell has a wealth of experience working with soil spatial variability during his graduate research and professional research career at the University of Missouri and the USDA. Notably, Newell was one of the investigators who helped develop Management Zone Analyst, a software offered by the USDA designed to be a fundamental software for future developments in Management Zone creation automation. In this discussion with Newell, we will explore what Management Zones really are, what the motivation for creating them should be, what the value proposition is for growers, and where he thinks we're heading with Management Zones in the future. There's lots to learn, so sit back and enjoy our conversation with Dr. Newell Kitchen. We've discussed in some of our previous episodes, soil sampling and on-the-go soil sensors. Can you give us a little bit of your insight into how these different data layers work together to quantify soil spatial variability um, in a farmer's field? Well, that's a, that's a pretty big question. <laughs> so again, it goes back to just kind of first, uh, first principle agronomy, you know, and you have to think about it in terms of what are those factors, those uh, that are contributing the most to both in terms of providing a, a more suitable environment or a less suitable environment that you might have within the same boundaries of a field. And um, so the sensors, uh, the different types of sensors you might lean on or not just sensors, but maybe even soil sample type information have to really tie to those first principles. Those, and, and, and over time, the more I've realized that, you know, start with really getting a very, very good understanding of the soil resource from the standpoint of water. And that, and that's, um, that sounds so simple, you know, and it sounds so obvious that some people still, they want to jump off and they want to go do something. Oh, let's talk about micronutrients or let's talk about you know, whatever. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, but that, uh, make sure you understand that soil resource from the standpoint of its ability to get water into the profile and store the water in the profile. So it's kind of a right into the profile and also the, the capacity to hold it. And early on, we started working back in the early 90s with so electrical conductivity. It's work ourselves with the uh, uh, electromagnetic induction version of those sensors. And then actually, as our research group with con- some conversations, um, Eric Lund uh, gave us a call and he said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And he came, you know, we, as I recall, he came over to Columbia and we sat down and we talked and mostly with Cam, but had quite a few conversations about, you know, what if you're about doing this with some coulters and, um, he went back to work and they, you know, designed and fabricated, you know, conductivity sensing, EC, uh, sensing using those coulters, which has been very, very effective too. 
So, um, and, and that, and that it's just a measure of conductivity, but there's so many soil properties from the standpoint of particularly texture and soil organic matter that uh, you can relate those soil EC. Um, and it's oftentimes it's only best done if there's maybe doesn't have to be an individual field, but on a farm or you know certain locale basis, some calibration to those numbers. Um, because water has a big impact on it. Maybe there has to be some calibration relative to the different times of season you might take those. Uh, but, but it certainly gives you a very quick picture of the relative differences you have within the field. Working at it from the standpoint, what first? Let's think of soil water. And let's think of what, what measurements do we have that can contribute to our understanding of soil water. And I would always put that soil EC pretty high on my list and as a prime candidate to be include in, in developing some kind of a management zone. And then you could, and, and of course, then you'd say, okay, well, so what's the end product? Remember we talked about what's the end product first? And, and certainly if your end product is something that's tied to water, such as nitrogen management, then obviously you better be starting with soil water to begin with. And, <laughs> right. And, and, and really understand that soil and its propensity for leaching or, or for denitrification, you know, waterlogging kind of scenarios. Mm -hmm. and, and, and recognize that the nitrogen management has, goes hand in hand. In fact, people who think they can manage nitrogen without looking at the water really just don't understand the dynamics between nitrogen and water. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm not, uh, so there's certainly that soil EC is going to be a critical one for quite a few things that uh, just because there's so many things that are related to soil water and water redistribution uh, on the landscape uh, also is an important one. And of course, um, a lot of people think of Nebraska as being pretty flat, but there's <laughs> a lot of Nebraska that has a, has a lot of rolling hills too. And so there's, there's, um, there's those, uh, elements you might get through a LIDAR kind of a map, um, you know, particularly um, a topographic index of some type, water uh, index that you might get. Again, the GIS software packages often have mm -hmm. these built into them, which is nice. Um, and so when it comes to water, those are the two things that come to mind probably first. Uh, and then from there, you can start adding on to it as you define the specific interests of what you're trying to manage. If you say management zones, you have to also say manage what. <laughs> you don't say manage what, then it's just a concept that is doesn't have any direction. It's I think that's a really, really good way to put it. And you know, you've you've kind of described all these different factors that may play into something like nitrogen. Would you mind describing maybe, for example, how one would go about putting together several soil data layers to manage something like phosphorus or potassium that is a little bit less uh, dynamic, maybe is a good way to put it, um, using these management zone methods. For something like phosphorus, our experience has been that uh, if obviously the input information that really helps to manage phosphorus, whether that's kind of a field level or a subfield level, is really going to still be the, the soil test phosphorus. One of the things that uh, you have to think about is that that soil test and what is it, um, whether you're using a, a Bray one soil test or a Melek or a Olson, 
uh, soil test. You know, it's a, it's a it's a measure of potential availability. It's an index. It's or it's just a uh, an indicator of of that availability for that crop. The soil sampling still probably has to be in place. There are certainly been some attempts to try to do that with sensors, non-to-go sensors. Perhaps more so with uh, going back to Varus, you know, they've got a, a sensor that's pH uh, very uh, variability, and and certainly phosphorus is is going to be uh, somewhat controlled by the pH or the, the solubility of the phosphorus controlled by pH of the soil. So you have a tremendous variation of pH in the field. That's gonna that's gonna tell you a little bit about phosphorus availability too. But it may still be that in the end you're still doing pulling some soil samples on a on a grid or by a zone to help you to be able to understand uh, the variation you have in the field. Interestingly enough, one of the things we find in, in Missouri, the you know the the fields that exist today were managed as much smaller fields 100 years ago or 80 years ago. You know, uh, the number of acres that a farmer can handle has just you know grown mm-hmm. to thousands of acres and it used to be tens to a hundred a couple hundred acres at most you know when because it was so labor intensive and the, the equipment they had then was just you know small scale mm-hmm. and so uh, you know it would be a 15 acre field here and this field over here was divided up in three or four different fields and one of the things that's kind of interesting is some of that management that happened, happened decades ago, you'll still see a footprint of that when it comes to something like phosphorus or, or pH, because those things just don't go away fast. And if, if one subfield area was managed with, you know, because it was closer to the where the livestock were with, with manures and it was easier to drop it on that field and go further away then mm-hmm. you know then then it's it's not a it's not uncommon for there to be um, differences by virtue of that historic management or this historic uh, smaller field boundaries so uh, one of the things that farmers will often do when they go out and they do a grid soil sample and they come back and they say why is this in the field this way you know <laughs> and it's because of things like things that happened 40 50 60 years ago and they, they can't believe that that would still have an impact today, but it will. Um, so, and, and there's other factors. Uh, we have fields that are, if you have a, a gravel road next to a field and you get a predominant wind that's from the south, you'll find that that, you know, that dust from the limestone will have an impact for several hundred yards into the field. So there's just factors you don't, may not typically think about that you ought to when you're you know, so does that, does that zone along the road, is it, is it its own management zone now by virtue of that dust that's coming off of that road? Yeah, it probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a combination of natural soil variability, managed uh, management uh, inputs that have caused variability, and understanding kind of some basics about soil and soil chemistry and soil nutrient availability, what kind of factors cause those differences. And then, and then, and then you kind of in a Sherlock Holmes way, you start to you start to figure out some things that are happening within a field in a way that you say, well, this is different because of this. If you can't say because of what, then you're kind of, you know, there should be some logical reasons that, it, that, it's, that it's different. And if it comes back as being different, you gotta be able to come up with a pretty good explanation for that. So mm-hmm. kind of going about this, your question in different ways there, but uh, um, Again, start with what it is you think it might be an issue that you want to manage, 
what, why do you think that this is an issue? Put your agronomic hat on. Why, you know, use what you, your, your observations. And I, I think there was one of the questions that you wanted to ask me about, you know, farmers' observations, what they see. And, yeah. and, and, and part of that is, is when they see the visual of a yield map and they see that repeatedly happening over, you know, multiple cropping seasons, then drives them to the question, why is this? And, and that's, I, I've always maintained that uh, yield monitoring systems was the best way to take producers, farmers, and make them agronomists. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And because and, it kind of knew differences there, but it, you can't ignore that visualization of yield maps in a very natural, normal way. It takes them to the question of why. That really leads me into this next question here. So, you know, we talk about management zones all the time. You know, you <laughs> do too in your research. If you wanted to convince a farmer that isn't currently doing that in any way, isn't variable rate seeding or isn't varying their fertilizer, what advantages or how would you convince them that, you know, classifying their field into zones is really important to characterize field variability? And then like piggybacking off of that, do you think some of this management zone delineation will be replaced by on the go sensing. So we think about our, sure. you know, nitrogen sensors that could happen with planting as well. What are your thoughts on that? So um, how to convince them that they ought to. Well, I, I think a lot of that is kind of, with some producers, it, it's wired into their their nature, their, you know, their disposition. And, and, and sometimes you can, it, the light will come on very quickly and they, they will jump on it and they'll go with it. There are obviously a full range of different dispositions out there in the in the landscape relative to, to producers, and some just don't want to. Regardless, you know, they just don't want to do things differently. And I don't know if you're going to convince that group of farmers that they should, because um, they would they just don't want to. They don't want to change. <laughs> yeah. You know, they they their way of the farming is the religion of their farming and they're happy with it. And they're not going to, they just don't want to change. And yet, um, so to, to the extent that you can reach a, a farmers that have uh, that little bit of hunger for some discovery, uh, hunger to be able to say, is there, a, is there a better way? Is there some room for improvement? Is there a higher level of optimization that I can do? Um, that's, you know, that's kind of almost got to be in place first. It, it really is trying to tap into those individuals that say there's growth in the way I do things. There's, a, there's growth in increased efficiency in the way I do things. And so, so it's those individuals that you have to think about as ones that you're going to have an impact in helping them to understand that science and understanding of scientific principles, including uh, the spatial and temporal variability that exists in fields is a frontier of potential improved efficiencies. You know, lots of times we like to think about it in this uh, G by E by M kind mm-hmm. of framework. And I, I even use that phrase that's mostly come out of academia with farmers now. And they go, G by E, I get what that means now. You know, they understand genetics. They understand management. That's their decisions. This E this E space, you, you kind of spread that out for them. E represents, you know, it's the soil water, it's the nutrient availability, it's the biology, it's the weather, it's the, and it's the spatial distribution of all those things. And, and, and you say, you know, it is complex and, 
and it's mm-hmm. and it's not easy to define. It's not easy to quantify, but it is exactly what happens out there in the real world. And mm-hmm. so there's opportunity in that E portion of the G by E by M for them to kind of uh, improve their operations. And so obviously, the more you can tie that to uh, decisions that they can say, I can, if I can make an extra dollar and a half per acre, and I can push that over, you know, 2000 acres, um, you know, you know, maybe I should be doing it. If maybe there's a little learning curve getting up and going. Maybe there's a little investment in some sensor technology I need to do. A lot of farmers that are over the last what two or three years, it's been around a little bit longer, but the, uh, the sensors that are part of the, uh, the planning operation, and maybe that's what you were referring to, uh, Samantha, the, uh, the, like the uh, smart firmer sensor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a graduate student that's working on that specific question. Um, you may have seen his presentation at the NUE meeting last year. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Lance is really interested in that technology and other industry people not associated with the ones that produce the sensors <laughs> that are really interested in understanding the questions of, of first off, are they are these measurements reliable? Are they repeatable? Are how well calibrated are they to the actual measurement that you actually that you have in the field? And then more importantly, can it reliably inform an agronomic decision? That, that really can make a difference. Um, In real time. I, I think that's the challenge yeah, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. And, and so, um, so you gotta have, you gotta build the, and there's some, again, some concepts or principles that we would have down in, in textbooks that we would say, this relates to this and this is gonna have that. And you say, yeah, I get that, I get that. But then taking that and getting it all the way down to you know, a kind of a simple algorithm, whether that's a universal algorithm or something that has to be somewhat tweaked, depending on maybe like what soil association you're on, what type of soil mm-hmm. you're on. But being able to to show that, you know, uh, it it can make a difference and it, it makes agronomic, uh, we have the agronomic uh, support behind this numbers to show that Maybe it doesn't happen in a positive way all the time, but if you can show that it has a positive effect, you know, half the time or whatever, then then maybe maybe that really is legit. You need to give some weight to that. So I, I kind of want to synthesize a couple of things that you talked about there. One is the vast amount of data that we have available to us now that can go into these decision-making processes. And the other is both working with farmers to get that data on their fields and also helping farmers to uh, potentially understand why management zones might be important. Um, And from my experience working with farmers, I think there are a lot of farmers that are in the middle that want to kind of get into this precision space, but maybe don't necessarily understand everything that's going on in the back end, which can make them a little bit nervous. And so would, yeah. you, would you mind breaking down a little bit? And, I, you know, this doesn't need to be a statistics lecture or anything like that, but just kind of talking about, in general terms, the processes that we use on the digital ag side to convert these data layers into the management zones that we see so that a farmer can trust the process that we're going through and realize that it's not a black box. Well, um, so there's kind of the first level. Let's, let's say you have... I don't know, 10, 15, 20 different layers of data. And so let's say you have soil EC, maybe you have some soil fertility, maybe you have some 
some uh, yield maps over multiple years, and you're looking at all of this and you say, "Well, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I take this and, and make a an informed decision going forward?" Is that is that the question you're asking? Pretty much. How do how do you get across all these layers? How can we possibly identify where we have similar regions within this field? How do, how do we get so, there? Sure. So so part of what you need to be is, I think. You know, um, whether you're a scientist or you're a producer, you have to be critical of the data that you have in front of you, understand how it was collected, uh, and recognize that some of those data layers probably don't don't really give you much value at all. <clears throat> and I know I can think of some research farms we've been on, and we'll we'll collect this, and we'll collect that, and we'll collect all these things, and and in the end, we have to kind of look and say, but, but is this, what is the value of this? What does it really help us? So, I mean, I mean, so uh, this management zone analyst was a, a software that really just used some pretty simple clustering kind of algorithms to take uh, input data and and really devoid of the GPS information. I guess you could put GPS information in there too, but it, you know, you put in. So electrical conductivity information, you put in uh, soil fertility information, you put in um, whatever you have, and, and then a slope, it could be relative elevation, it could be, there are a lot of things you could. And 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 I, I think initially it was, well, if you have it, why not throw it in and use it? Uh, and that was part of the danger that the hazard of doing that is because it kind of threw away basic first principles of agronomy. And, and because you assumed if you had it, that it it should be used. You mm -hmm. collected the data, so why should you uh, not use it? And um, without maybe thinking about it in terms of what is it that really makes a difference for this particular uh, operation or these fields that we're looking at, that we want to do these uh, uh, clustering uh, algorithms and, and kind of build some kind of a, uh, a zone management zone map for the field. And so a lot of people over the years have used it, um, unfortunately, perhaps uh, in a way to where it shouldn't be. Um, and as time has gone on, we've given a few presentations talking about the importance of looking at your input uh, values and the input variables or that you have and, and recognizing that uh, there are some things that are really important and some things that you aren't important if, and you've got to look at your end product what am i wanting to use these management zones and a management zone for nitrogen management may be a whole lot different than it is for phosphorus management or water management and or, or even pest control and so you have to kind of start at your end uh, end product and say what is it about um, the soil and the landscape and the way this has been managed in the past that is are the controlling factors relative to this particular stress, abiotic or, or biotic stress uh, that's going to happen with the crop. And then you back into, you say, what is the information that's going to be most relevant to creating that? Then you put those into, you know, perhaps a, a, some kind of a process like what management zone analyst does um, to create those zones. And uh, so you, in some ways, you want you want to be able to first prioritize and and look at at, at maps or of, or layers of information, which is kind of the same as map, and mm -hmm. say where is it that it, there's a 
that it's exposed that there's variability, reliably and, and exposed variability. It reminds me of a paper, the title of the paper is How Good is Bad Weather? And it was basically saying bad weather is really, really a good thing. Well, most people would take the year 2012 here in the Midwest and they would say, I, just throw it out. I mean, it's so, so bad. And, and, and it, again, from the standpoint of, the, you know, you know, money in the pocket, it was a bad year. You know, you didn't even cover the cost of inputs. It was a bad, bad year. Mm-hmm. But from the standpoint of exposing the soil and the, the abiotic stress that you're going to get from water deficiency on a drought year, it's, it was a wonder, wonderful year. <laughs> Okay, yep. and so a yield map from that year is maybe actually one of your best maps that you have available to you. Uh, the same would be said of maybe some remote uh, sensing imagery or work that you might get with, with a uh, with some drones, uh, where you have a really really wet year, and you've got nitrogen deficiency that's different in different parts of the field when you've fertilized it all the same. But we got this area of the field that's really yellowing up and it's really showing that that either the crop is probably not going to be because of the crop demand so much as it is because we just we lost it. We lost a higher percentage of nitrogen we put on. So how good is bad weather from the standpoint of the extremes, too wet or too dry, are probably going to be years that give you yield maps that you really should be given more attention to in terms of developing management zones. How you go about it from the standpoint of building the zones, whether you you take those, you know, you can take those yield matches, you could write, you could draw those in yourself. You know, if you've got a good visualization of that, and, and, and you don't need a software, a software can do it too, but you can you could do it yourself on on those really extreme years, you can really expose differences within the field. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of companies out there that are advertising or say that they make management zones. Um, what are the biggest mistakes that people or companies are doing when it comes to making management zones? And like, what should farmers kind of be weary of when a, you know, a company says, here's what we recommend for your field? You know, what questions should they be asking? Uh Two, two thoughts. The first one is one reinforcing what I already said is, is make sure that uh, you think about uh, the why question. The why is if, you, if there's a management zone is, is uh, fundamentally it's driven on the basis that there's variability in, in the crop and its response to your management. And so if you, um, if you can't, tie that management decision to the input information that you're building that on and it, it and it doesn't it doesn't you have a hard time relating those two things then um then i think there's a fair chance you're going to miss so uh, on that delineation of those management zones so uh i would i would hope the producers would be very um skeptical mm-hmm. You know, go in there and say, okay, well, you give me these management zones based on this information. Tell me about the agronomic relationship between the information you've given me and the decision of what I'm going to do differently within the field. And, 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 and make sure that they have the sales pitch, you know, from whoever's doing this 
they understand it well enough. They're not just a marketer. They understand the agronomy themselves. Mm-hmm. And they say, and, and so this, this is where agronomic science is, can't be discarded. You know, it is kind of flashy and it's fun and it's electronics and it's big data. And it's, you know, there's, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of exciting things when you start looking at these big data sets, but at the same time, it's, it's also, um, it's, it's a similar type of, I would suggest it's similar to what, what you and I, uh, should be when we go in to see a doctor, Mm -hmm. we go in and see a doctor and the doctor says, Oh, you know, your knee is messed up. You you know, you've got some pain there it's messed up and we're going to go and we're going to operate on it and do this. And, and, and you better be asking some questions, you know, you may even want a second opinion. You may even want to get, well, show me the x-ray or the MRI yeah. that supports Walk me through this that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. And show me that. And it's exactly the same mentality a farmer should have when it comes to management. So show me, show me the details here and, and help me to understand that. Uh, Cause I don't want to buy into this if I don't understand it. Uh, you're better off maybe not doing it. So that's, that's the first. The second thought that I have there is, um, is probably the temptation to divide fields up too much into too many management zones, mm-hmm. you know, start pretty simple. Um, you know, maybe it's two or three. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure you can kind of show that you, if you do it at a level of two or three different management zones within a field, that it, it really did uh, was worth that effort because management zones are going to cost. It comes in the cost of time or getting that sensor data and it's paying someone to help you do that. And, but, you know, uh, and in the end, they need to be able to do an analysis to show that when, because you did this, you had this kind of, you know, return on investment. So that's would be the other thing that I would, you know, include that farmers do don't just, buy into it because it's a great concept, but buy into it because they are also going to come back and show you how you got that return on investment. Yeah. I think that's great because we've harped a lot in some of our previous episodes about like making sure your data quality, your layers are quality, making sure you're not just using one uh, year of yield data, but you brought up two things that we haven't discussed much. So that was awesome. Yeah. And and I kind of want to just dig in a little bit more on that optimal management zone concept. So if you're if you're starting small and you've got, you know, maybe you're trying management zones out for the first time, you've got two and then maybe you say, well, there may be a third one here and I want to move to a third one. At what point do you stop breaking down your field and can you decide that you have reached that optimum number of management zones for what you can you can manage for on your field and what's actually, you know, being effective uh, profitably right. for your field? So and let me back up and kind of also answer the question this way. And, you know, obviously farmers typically have many fields that they manage. Uh, the other thing then would be able to say, okay, which of the 15 to 20 fields that you manage, do you already know that there's, you can even go look at the NRCS, you know, soil maps that you, you already know. This is where their observations have already fine-tuned tell me tell me the show me which four offer the have the most variability when it comes to production so it's it's also then start with those fields that you already know that have that that variability and and, and they have an intuition for what those fields are mm-hmm. and and so you start with those um and then 
and then your the second part of your question your question really was you know where do you stop yeah <laughs> you know how, how many zones um well um i i that's that's a tough question again uh it, and it's going to vary depending on the input that you're trying to manage you know if you're if you're managing water and you have through your own experience or working through a company or some extension people or whatever, you've come up with some kind of a relationship that has expressed soil um, based on texture, organic matter, so forth, you know, plant available water, and you, you've been able to map that soil as a continuum, okay, which is what a soil really is. It's not bunch of boundaries yeah. out there the time <laughs> nope. boundaries when you, when you walk to an edge of the cliff you know <laughs> there's a boundary there but <laughs> but but uh soil is a continuum and it's 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 like this it's not now it's this now it's this now it's this <laughs> so you know the more the data we get in the future helps us to inform us to be able to uh quantify soil uh, as as this continuum and we then then management zones actually is not going to have a place because we're actually going all the way up to where there is no management zone. We're just treating this field as a, as this, this, uh, this variation that's changing at all steps through the field. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you've got a, a, something that represents the soil as it really is. And then you truly can hopefully build an algorithm that basically is just Kind of making changes as you go through the field so um we're maybe that's down the road a little bit but when it comes to water management nitrogen management we're probably not that far from that it, it's not classed it's not management zones management zones is a classification by its very nature its boundaries um so the the, the more we can get reliable information that gets us to treating a soil as as a continuum or the landscape as a continuum the more we're going to be able to make those just we're going to punch that into the controller you know and as we go to the field it's going to kind of go up and down and it's going to change as a continuum um, certainly that's what happens when you're using sensors <laughs> to drive drive how much nitrogen you put on the field already because mm -hmm. the crop itself is the bioassay of the, the nitrogen status of the plant and if you're changing you're saying oh it's good here but we're kind of drought going to an area where it's gradually getting worse, you know, it's just, you're, you're basically letting those sensors, uh, the, the plant sensors uh, as picked up by your hardware sensors on your tractor, detect that, make adjustments on the go. So, so, you know, there's some things that may never, some inputs that may never get past a management zone concept, but there are some things that I hope that we're, we're just looking at, the management of that field is a, is a continuum. Uh, and in that case, how many management zones? Each each part that you're able to make a decision to make a change on becomes this management zone. And that can be pretty small. Mm -hmm. One thing I, I kind of want to dig into a little bit more, you've talked about what the next step is beyond management zones and, and um, working with fields as a continuum, as, a, as basically a surface that we're operating on. When you think about integrating sensors with management zones right now and then moving towards that continuum process, what does that transition look like and what technologies do you foresee coming in the near future for that? 
Well, you're the you're the engineer here. You have probably a question I should bounce right back at you. Uh, so, um, integrating the sensors with current operations, like they're doing, like Smart Firmer does, is is going to is is a, is kind of a breakthrough because it's kind of making us think about how we use sensors in a, in a kind of more of an integrated way, as opposed to I'm going to go out and sense this for the purpose of sensing it only. So. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's, that's kind of a, you know, a pioneering effort relative to doing it that way. Um, there's, I think that there's a lot of room for improvement, as I mentioned before, with those type of sensors and maybe even, um, maybe even fusing uh, sensors and that sensor information in a more informative way. You know, sensors, um, you know, Adam Chuck has done a lot of work relative to different types of sensors and helping us to understand this sensor do, looks at things this way and this way and this way, you know, and you, you got electromagnetic, you got light, you've got all these different sensors that, are, that have been used in all kinds of different industries are being brought into agricultural uh, applications, but that still there's some basic biophysical uh, things that these sensors can do and how well we can, can, um, can take that information and make it to where it's packaged in a more reliable way for that, that property of interest that we're going after. I think it's where we're going. I mean, we're already, we've talked about this for years, but I think we're still struggling mm-hmm. because when you go out into the field and you, know, you can do it in the lab, but you go out to the field, <laughs> things are just, always not you know there's uncontrollables or things that happen <laughs> there's there's variation that you didn't anticipate and so these sensors right now their limitation is because they just don't have the library of information particularly when we start fusing sensors together they help us to give that reliable information so i think that's probably where we're going to in the future is is learning how to fuse this information together in a more uh, complete way I, I love that response. I love <laughs> how you talked about how much harder things are when we truly get into a field. I mean, these technologies are great, but they've got to be exposed to every scenario they could possibly be in in order for us to really consider them efficacious, I guess. And year after year, you talked a lot about temporal yeah. variability. They may work some years and then they don't work as well as right. others. So. Um, so final question. What is one piece of advice that you have to offer to our listeners and how to manage the information that digital ag is now, you know, throwing at them when it comes to spatial variability? Well, I, I, maybe it's uh, being redundant to something I already said that uh, we all need to put on a little bit of a Columbus, the, you know, the, the explorer kind of hat and say, <laughs> go out there and discover, go out there and, and, and think of you, think of the business that you have as a, as a farmer as an opportunity to discover more about um, uh, about this, to be, to be skeptical. I mentioned that word before, be skeptical with what is being marketed at you. Uh, I would say it, it's, you know, I, I don't immerse myself in this area a lot, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if at least 50% of what comes at farmers in terms of marketing is, is really overhyped. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel that way when it comes to some of the biologicals amendments that are being pushed. You know, I think that there's there's maybe some value in a few of these things, but 
by far. I think there's it's just not proven in a lot of environments. Maybe under certain controlled situations, it showed to be helpful. But, so be skeptical, and and yet um, recognize that you have with these technologies the tools to be able to explore the questions that matter that will matter to you and your operations. Um, combination of of some simple um, uh, some yield map information. Um, sit down if you don't understand the economy. Sit down with somebody who does, and, and kind of starts helping you ask the questions that will help lead you to likely answers of why there are differences within fields. I, I guess that's I guess that's my advice. Be you know uh, see the uh, the world as a great uh, frontier still of of being able <laughs> to learn and and don't be intimidated. God's given you a mind to be able to think through these things. So think, be willing to. To, to recognize that uh, that's maybe the purpose of your of your experience here on life is to learn through your farm. Thank you, Newell, for joining us today on the FarmBits podcast. We've had a pleasure of working with Newell through our research and extension projects. So now it was great to sit down with him and dive into his expertise a little bit more. And for me, my favorite part with Dr. Kitchen was when he talked about how soil is a continuum. So eventually the goal, we'd have all applications and management that match that continuum. So right now with management zones, they're a great intermittent step to manage site specifically, but eventually we'll be moving away from these distinct zone boundaries to the point where things can be applied more gradually. Yeah, that's a really great point that management zones are a good way to help us synthesize information now but that they may not be the most effective way of characterizing soil spatial variability in the future. Uh, so for me, I really loved what Newell said about beginning with the end in mind when it comes to management zones. That's a great idea in a lot of things, but especially here with management zones. So the data that goes into management zones and the zones themselves really should be tailored to what exactly you're planning to do with those zones. Absolutely. I also just wanted to add that I really liked his piece of advice at the end where it said, be sure that you are being skeptical. Um, There's a lot of new and exciting companies and technologies, but we hope that you know that we are sharing with you through this podcast, that you are sure that you really understand the realities of new technologies and be sure that you are taking the time to ask the tough questions. Yeah, no question. Asking the tough questions is really important. And and really, I think the more critical thinking we can do uh, in all things, but especially when it comes to digital ag, the better it is for our industry. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can also be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits. Farm Bits.